Hello, everyone. You're listening to Las Gitanas de LA. And you may wonder what a gitana is. Well, a gitana is a nomad woman that knows her value and celebrates it. She's free. She's magical. She's pure art and has a natural charm that can hypnotize you with her stunning beauty and sexy eyes. She's the official girlfriend of the wind, and she knows that anything is possible. So today we have with us Maria Antonieta Pelichari. I hope I pronounced her name correctly. And she is the ultimate gitana. And she's going to tell you why. Hi, Maria Antonieta. How are you? Hi. Good morning, Bella. I'm doing great. <laughs> good morning. I have to say, I love your name, Maria Antonieta. It's so regal and, and, and so awesome. You probably got tons and tons of compliments at parties when you introduce yourself, right? You know, it's so funny because I actually hated my name until I came to the Americas. <laughs> and it was actually the Mexicans here in Los Angeles that actually made me fall in love with my name. A little, you know, rewind. Basically, I was born to British mom and Italian dad. And my mom was kind of hell-bent, if we can say it here in the recording, of calling me Elizabeth. You know, <laughs> very British name. And then, of course, three months before I was born, my Italian grandma died. And her name, of course, was Maria. And my dad got all fussy about it. And my mom was opposed about it. He's, you know, saying there's a ton of Marias in Italy. But then they found out on the birth certificate that her second name was Antoinette or Antonietta in Italian. So they said, you know what, why don't we do that? And so she felt a little bit better about it and the name I, stuck. I'm but so I'm glad. I'm so <laughs> glad because, yes, Marie's, Mary's, Maria's, you know, there's so many. But Maria Antonieta, and it's such an icon, too. Yes. I mean, for me, it's a fashion icon. It's a, it's a very intriguing historical figure. Every time I go to Paris, I don't know why I go to the Seine and I imagine her like, you know, throwing her pearls to the river. I don't know. It's like I, I just have this vision like Maria Antonieta means for me Paris. Oh. Yes, I, I actually, one of my best friends was from Paris and we, you know, back in the day, we corresponded through letters and everything. And probably that was one of the few places I actually enjoyed my name, although I did get questioned a lot why I was called Marie Antoinette. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, like, yeah, it's like, fuck you guys. My name is <laughs> Marie Antoinette. Okay. Right, I don't so, care about your 14th of July thing. <laughs> so, so I use it still when I want to pull a little bit, you know, I want to pull rank or I want to be a little obnoxious. So if not, then I have a gazillion nicknames and I tell people, you know, that everybody asks me, what do you want to be called? I said, you know, you choose one and then I'll recognize my friends by how you call me. So you're fascinating. You're, you're European. You come with this beautiful name to California, Marie Antoinette. And let me ask you, when did you arrive to the States? Like, what was your trajectory, you know, as a gitana? Because that is really what a gitana is. So, yes, that's a little bit of a loaded question. So what happened was different reasons. I ended up studying Russian languages and literature when I was, you know, my late teens. And Russian I, languages. Russian Why languages Russian? and literature. Well, it was right before the wall came down. Of course, we still didn't know that the wall was coming down. So that kind of gives out, my, you know, gives out my age. <laughs> I just felt that there was this fermentation in Europe and Italy traditionally had always had very good relationships 
with with Russia. We had, of course, half of Europe does, but we especially had the gas pipelines coming down directly into Italy. Northern Italy has always traded leathers and furs for high fashion mm-hmm. with Italy. So the, there were a lot of industries that had already had relationships in place even before the revolution with Russia and somehow had managed to keep those ties. I come from this region called Emilia-Romagna, whose capital city is Bologna. And so that region had back in the day, it still has, but this model of cooperatives, it's actually a very rich region, one of the richest in Italy. And it's ironic because it had these cooperatives and, you know, agricultural cooperatives, but sometimes artisan and industrial. And it would send its administrators and sometimes workers over to the Soviet Union to study this five-year model that they would bring back to Italy. But then they would interpret it in the Italian way, in a, in a richer way. So I just felt that that was the future. And I was curious. I wanted to know more about Russia beyond, you know, what everybody knew it as a Soviet Union. So I enrolled. Yeah, I remember because the- I agree. There's something mysterious about Russia. It's like, yes, know, it's intriguing. It's, it's like everybody goes to the U.S., but... Russia is actually cool and it has yes, some, a lot of people, some cool things going on. Yes, forget that it's one of the largest land masses in, in the world, you know. It covers I love 12- Russian art, by the way. I studied yes. history and I just cannot wait. I've never been and I just the, can't wait to go to St. Petersburg and, and visit Yes, and churches. I would suggest, yeah, the folklore and the mythology is outstanding. Standing and True. fascinating. It's, fascinating. It's beautiful. I agree 100%. Yes, the fairy tales too. <laughs> That's why you studied Russian uh, or you, you wanted to study Russian and what was the other languages? Russian languages or Russian yes. languages? Or? Oh, it was Russian language and literature. And yeah, of course, it. yeah, my minor was German and German philology. I had studied that since I was 12 years old. So I was completely in love with Germany at the time as well. <laughs> and so, yes, I all of a sudden I decided to well, look into get, some. Let, let me yeah. get this because this is a lot. You were in England, right? No, I was in Italy at the time. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. So you were yes. in Italy where you speak Italian. Right? Yes. And, and you, are, you also speak English because your mom is Brit. Yes, and, and I was born there you too. Are studying in Italy, you're studying Russian and German. Yes. So one, two, Italian three, and English four. Okay. Oh, and but I had studied French since I was six years old because it looked at one point that we were going to move to Switzerland. Okay. To the French so canton. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm counting now five languages. So yeah, because in Europe, I, I am European too. And, and we grow up bilingual. I grew mm-hmm. up also bilingual Catalan and Spanish. But I was studying English since I was very little. Yes. And, and then I started with German because I just wanted to go against the world and don't study French, even if they're neighbors. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah, but that's another story. So I'm counting five languages for you. And you are studying in Italy, Russian language and literature. And then Correct. So what happened was that I decided to look into a scholarship because I was trying to get a little bit more in-depth about material after 1917, after the revolution. It was very easy to find materials to write your thesis. 
all the way up until 1917. And then after that, it, it got very difficult because Sorry, dictatorship. You were, going, you were going for your master's? No, in Italy so at the time. Yeah, with the system, it was a different. The, before the reform, we had four or five years of direct university studies where. That is like we, a master's. Yes, exactly. And it was very difficult because when I came here, I was put like in the bachelor's program and it was ridiculously easy for me. And right, because you were a master graduate. Wow. Yes. Okay, yes. so you requested a scholarship from your university. What was the name of your university? The University of Bologna, which is known as Alma Mater Studiorum in Spanish, which means yes. the mother of, yeah, of all studies. Beautiful because- university, amazing history. It's yeah. an Ivy League university in Europe. Yes, and it's, it's one of the oldest. Is it it the is oldest? the oldest. Oh, it is yes, the it, oldest, yes. It was... It was founded in 1088, and yeah. I enrolled in 1988 in the 900 year, 900th year, 9th <laughs> centenary. Oh, my of the God. Such a you are like paying attention to numbers. Perfect. My kind of girl. So I know I have, a, I have a sweatshirt somewhere in Italy that still says 1088. I'm sorry, 1988. And I'm like, I need to find that sweatshirt. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So you graduated from uh, the University of Bologna. I mean, that is a big deal. Or you were about to graduate. You were you were just requesting a, a year abroad or a semester abroad. Yes, I wasn't graduated yet. So you were not Correct. graduating yet, but you were halfway probably. Yeah, I was more. I was already three quarters of the way. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Just like me. I did the same thing. I went to Germany when I finished the third year of my uh, licenciatura, which mm-hmm. here is a master's when you complete it. So the last two years, I did it in Germany. So you you wanted to do only a semester? I was offered actually a whole year, like a whole nine months. It was interesting because I didn't know anything about the States, about California. I would I hardly knew where California was. I was very good in geography, but <laughs> I did not really know much about North America. What was the university that you were coming to as an exchange well, student? That's the whole point. I was offered Berkeley, Santa Barbara, and UCLA. And I literally had to look on paper because I'd never been. Right. I wish I would have because I think there I was no Google. Google. You couldn't even like, no, right? it's like, okay, I have to make a very good big decision with whatever I have here. Yes. And I decided to go with UCLA because of the program, because of the study of the department. And I don't regret that decision, although probably now that I saw Berkeley the other day with my daughter, I wish I, I know. could have gone there. Oh my God. I want to go to Berkeley. Like That is my plan. I want to retire in six years and move to Berkeley and, and just study there because my daughter actually wants to go to Berkeley. Oh, you're so lucky. She, she heard that at Berkeley, you can do whatever you want. And <laughs> <laughs> Mine wants to and, go to San Diego. <laughs> that, for example, my, my husband studied in Berkeley and he said that when he was in law school, there was this girl that, that was very bright, that she was always barefoot in campus and in the class. And I was like, oh, my God, that is so cool. Like, I want to do that. <laughs> okay, but you didn't know about Berkeley. You decided, okay, UCLA it is. I don't regret oh. it. No, it was one of my most amazing experiences, you know, both human and study-wise, you know, that I'd ever had. So I don't regret I that. It's too bad it's so freaking expensive, you know. Yes, yes, they have yes. good PhD programs that I would love to to do, but I'm like, oh my God, I'm never going to retire. <laughs> okay, so you go to UCLA and then you get here. Like, did you have like a family or, or 
because it's very different in Europe. When you get there, everything is very organized in the sense like accommodation and, and this and that. And I know that here is a total different story. What I arrived at 10 o'clock at night and a taxi dropped me off probably shortly before midnight in front of the graduate housing. I had a trunk with me, those classic... What, that? what is that, in Westwood? That's Westwood. In Westwood at the time. And I remember nobody opened. And I was there for a couple of hours all by myself. Didn't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you just like arrived from the other side of the world. You have to wait two more hours. Jesus. What did yes, you do? That- like, did you, did you pass out or in the steps? You know, back in the day, we didn't even have cell phones or nothing. No, I got very scared. I felt <laughs> I didn't feel good. I think this should have been on a harbinger of what I eventually experienced out here in the years to come. <laughs> Meaning this is a tough society. And that was just the beginning of it. So... Finally, somebody from the night shift, I guess, arrived at the office and opened up. And (laughs) I dragged my sorry self inside. Oh, but you already had accommodation set up waiting for you. Yes, apparently they told me I could stay for one week. Yeah, no, it was only through hell in Heidelberg, but that I'll tell you later. So you already had had everything. No, but it was only for a week. And then I had to figure things out. And then it became hell for me again. So, oh. But that's another story. Oh, that's terrible. That's terrible. <laughs> yes, I yes. know what I'm going to tell my daughter, Samantha. And I'm saying this because I want to I wanna keep a mental note. I want to tell my daughter, Samantha, that if she wants to go to a university abroad, I'm going to go with her and rent an apartment or something or, you know, and then I move there and have fun there. Or, or maybe she just rents it herself because that is the worst that experience is the worst when you are like coming from another world and then you have to figure out like housing and oh my god and in another oh. total different culture it's insane. yes and for the longest i you know didn't have a car because coming from europe you think you know oh we can deal a with european uh, in la yes in the 90s <laughs> without a car that it was that's hell it, it was very difficult. Let's let's put it that way. Oh <laughs> I walked a lot. God. I lost a lot of weight. <laughs> I mean, there is a song out there, people, that is called Nobody Walks in LA. <laughs> so you can get the idea from that. Okay, so, yes. whoa. You, you, they probably will look at you at the beginning like you had like three heads, but let's, let's go there. <laughs> Actually, that was the other thing too. Like you came from a smaller, you know, either village town or even if Bologna was a big city, you know, a lot of people knew each other. And especially back in the, in the day, the cult of friendship is huge in Italy or was huge. And everybody would stop in the street and say hi. And the experience was like, nobody cared. You know, I remember going around campus and saying, hello, good morning or hi to everybody and stopping. And people were just like, Hi, and keep on walking. And then I would stop and turn around and look. And I'm like, why didn't you stop and say hi to me properly? <laughs> it was too shock. <laughs> I mean, I had prided myself to being a, a, a person of the world. You know, I was about to turn 22, so I was still 21. And by then, I had already traveled to India, to Nepal. I'd gone trekking high altitude in the Himalayas. I'd been all That's over awesome. Europe. Wow. Yeah. So I oh was like, God. oh, I'm, you, I'm, you I, do I know what, my, I mean, yeah, you're totally the gitana. You're yeah, the I'm, award I'm, right now. So, so I said, I've got by this. 21, you already went like everywhere pretty much. 
Yeah. And I said, I've got this in the bag. And boy, right. was I wrong. So you didn't think that was going to be a problem, but then you, you land in LA. Uh, it's, you know, probably the biggest culture shock that any European can have, because we think that because we speak English here, that it's probably just an extension of England or Europe. And then you realize that it's a different continent. It's and totally people, a different kind con- and makes no sense. Makes no the, sense. It's, for the it's, lo- longest time, makes no sense. And, and it takes you a long time to adapt. And, it and, took me, and the, for the people to adapt to you, because, you know. I, I feel that after eight years of being here, one day I said, okay, I finally get it. Eight years. For somebody who spoke different languages and was used to traveling and was pretty open-minded. So it's not an easy city or country. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And we're in California. I feel blessed that I'm, Cal- I'm in California. I yes. love it. Yes, yes. The weather and probably the politics are more aligned with what we're used to. So definitely a, a better place to be. <laughs> so then you arrive to LA and you think this is going to be temporary, but what happens? Like you decide <clears throat> that you really like it or... Because you never left, right? I came back. Yes, I wasn't very thrilled with it, to be honest. And I remember after six months calling my dad and with a famous MCI carrier that doesn't exist anymore on this clunky landline, you know, you had to basically agree from week to week when you would call because, as I said, no internet, no Google, no smartphone. So, like, I'll call you on Sunday at 4 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> and, and within 10 minutes, you had to be close to the, to the phone to make sure that either you called or it rang and you could pick up. Oh, my God. Um, hey, phones. Hey, yes. Phones. yes. <laughs> landlines. Oh I, know. I forgot about that. Yes. So, I remember calling my dad and... I said, you know, you know, school is great and my, my teachers are amazing and I'm getting all the information that I need, but I'm not really sure that I like this place. And I said, I'm actually looking forward to coming back, which I would never say, not over my dead body. I always wanted to stay in places that I went to. <laughs> and he said, well, you only have another three months and then you'll be back. And 30 years later, here I am, you know, with a kid and you know, a career, <laughs> mortgages, you know, the whole, <laughs> the whole California experience is sun and debt. <laughs> yep. You totally adapted. I have to say, totally right, adapted. Right. but yeah, it's funny how, how you find yourself in a different place as time goes by, because at first I was very intolerant and I just did not want to hang out with Americans. Yeah. I, I was just like, it was inevitable, but at the same time I was just, uh, no, I need, I don't know. I need a York, but, but you couldn't find them. Yes. And it's hard too, because, you know, this also ties a little bit into the equation of ethnicity and race. That is such a hot topic nowadays. You know, I'm, I'm pretty Viking looking, you know, I'm 5'10". I've always been kind of like a presence. I've never been skinny. Well, back in the day I was, you know, probably not so much now, but I like to wear heels. So I will go easily to 661 and I'm what they define here as Caucasian, which also was a big surprise for me because I, when I started filling out forms, there was all these boxes that you had to check. And I was like, why do we have to check boxes? And I didn't even know <laughs> what cares? I was, you know? Yeah, who cares about that? And yeah, it's funny because that they care. Coming from also a Russian studies background, you know, the Caucasus is where Georgia is. And, you know, for me, that was just the traditions of Georgia or, you know, Southern Russia or, or Soviet Union at the time. Right, right. And so I was like, why would it's we so be Caucasian? Boring. 
Yeah, it was so foreign. And so it was funny because I had to be kind of boxed in as Caucasian. And yet, you know, people would see me as white, whereas the definition of white here in the States usually is like, you know, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. And here I was where, yes, half of me was Anglo-Saxon, but the other half was very, you know, European Latin. And I had a 26-letter name, you know, Maria Antonieta Pelicari that nobody could pronounce (laughs) (laughs) on on a British passport. And back in the day, of course, my pronunciations were so much more British (laughs) than it it is now. The British accent, yes. And now it happened to me too because I, I I was like I'm a Caucasian but I also speak Spanish but I'm also French so what do I do like I yes I really, no it was it's it was so messy confusing like trying I, to I'm not a Latina because I was not born here in the in the continent but it's Hispanic but not Caucasian like what does that mean you know yes no definitely and so it's funny because people would relate to me as like you know in quotes white American but inside I didn't feel that I was white American are from everywhere really like it's not a one particular place so for example I am Ashkenazi Jew also interesting imagine you know having to go and no you are in this box Yes, absolutely. And also one or the other, which one is stronger? I am Hispanic because I'm not very white, but at the same time, I'm super like, it's like, I didn't know why there was that difference. Yes. And I think it, it ties, as I said, into what we're talking about nowadays, that this, this need to define a person, like I feel Growing up in Europe, I was blessed back in, you know, as I said, the 80s, the 90s, that, well, actually the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, I was already here, but where we value diversity and diversity is considered chic, you know, knowing languages and traveling and going to other places in general is considered something that you have to do if you want to be a well-rounded person. And then coming here where all of a sudden your name is questioned and, you know, what basically got me through a lot of the gates you know, the the gatekeepers, you know, for work and study here was because I was tall, white and spoke with a British accent. Right. But then all of a sudden on paper, I had this very long Italian name. I when I started getting tired, my little various accents, either from Italy or England would come through when I started Americanizing my pronunciation. And there were a lot of questions all the time. And my traditions and my way of being we're just not so American at all. And so it has been, it, it, it is actually still a struggle. It's still a struggle with my daughter because I still want to carry on certain traditions. And then she says, well, mom, you have to remember that I'm American, you know, and uh, she makes fun of me most of the time. But, you know, we, <laughs> we, we laugh about it mostly. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and your daughter, what languages does she speak? She, let's say it's been difficult because I unfortunately have been divorced since she was five. So I was pretty much alone. I didn't have any extended family here. So not having a sounding board in the... That's another drama that Europeans go through. Yes, yes. So however, I managed to get her fairly fluent in Italian. I would talk, uh, you know, talk to her in Italian all the time. I would say sentences in English. And then I would repeat them in Italian and then have her repeat it. And I was lucky because there was an Italian after our school on Fridays until she was probably about 11 or 12. So I sent her there every week. And then unfortunately, it closed. So after that, I sent her alone when she was 13 for five weeks with my best friend in Tuscany. Uh, she, yeah, so things like that. But, you know, as she grew into- Like I used to do that too. I used to go to Ireland. Living in, in Spain, I would go for a few weeks to Ireland to learn the language. 
Oh, amazing. So yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. So as she become as she became a teenager, of course, she answers me more in English and so forth. And and then because you live here, it's inevitable. I I mean, my kids speak Spanish, but they don't they don't want to speak Spanish in the house. Right. And so what happened is that she's passive in Spanish, you know, because of my friends and, you know, the, the lady that helps me in the house and her dad's family you know she understands spanish she speaks it a little bit you know she's not very keen on it in italian she can so defend herself a latino from i did i did actually he was from peru oh he 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 is from peru no? <laughs> he's still alive yeah from lima yes okay, yes another immigrant that was coming from peru and correct you guys connected like like that way you yes 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 walls yes so, of course, my daughter was a little hurt by the divorce. So she said specifically that she didn't want to speak Spanish. Now she regrets it. So she's, you know, she's good with languages. But the interesting thing is that I sent her to a school that had a lot of Koreans and Japanese families. And they are the ones that helped me out when she was little. So I had a couple of Japanese families who would pick her up sometimes or keep her in the mornings when I had to go to court very, very early. And I had oh, to. Wow, and the, that's great. And school wasn't open. So she actually ended up studying Japanese. She decided that she wanted to do Japanese and Korean. So that's actually what she took in high school. And because of her love for BTS, you know, the Korean boy group, she knows every single song in the universe and she sings it all in Korean, Korean taught herself how to read in Korean. She said... She didn't want to study Korean in school because that's an easy language compared to Japanese. So, <laughs> so I think between me and her, if we ever, my dream, actually, let's say that my dream vacation one of these days is to take the, I want to take the Trans-Mongolian to, um, to the Trans-Siberian. I want to fly oh, to Shanghai, beautiful. take the train from Shanghai to Ulaanbaatar. So that's the Trans-Mongolian and then switch to the Trans-Siberian. Let me know where you're going so I can join. Yes, yes, because it has to be planned. I've already have my friend in Italy who's also Anglo-Italian like me who has done that with her four children. And it took her 23 days, I think, just to cross Russia, I think. That yeah, with the amazing. And and how was this like the stage? Like you stay in the train, I guess. You yes, yes, yes. It's fantastic. They have you know amazing I trains. I, I love those trains because they're comfortable, and the restaurant is amazing. <laughs> just so people know, you can have a fine dining experience in a train absolutely, room, and you can have wine and beer or a cocktail. Like seriously, like it's amazing. Yeah, so, so I, I you're t- basically in a hotel in a train going to this hotel. <laughs> yeah, so I we need to do this before 2026 because Isabella and I are lucky we have a 10 year visa to China. That's another story. We oh, had so a family, I need a visa, of course. <laughs> so I want to fly to Shanghai and then I, I want to get into Europe by landmass by train. <laughs> so yeah, we definitely so, need. So she can help you with the languages too. Yeah, so we can we can cover half the globe. <laughs> yeah, you, you're, yeah, I think you're gonna be good. You're <laughs> oh wow, my goodness, that's amazing! That's great. How do you speak Spanish? Because you are actually this is amazing. You are a court interpreter for Spanish, and I guess all these other languages. But one of them is Spanish. Like she, I I work as a court interpreter for Spanish, and you know, but I'm from Spain. But she is like from all over the place, not a Spain. And she's working as an interpreter. How did that happen? How did you learn Spanish to be able to pass the 
the core interpreter exam, which has a 6% passing rate. Just well, I guess, I guess I might have to come out here finally on, I have to come out of the closet <laughs> here in, on, on your blog. For years, I actually was very embarrassed to say that I never took, you know, a day of classes in Spanish and I passed the exam even ever before setting foot in South America. And to date, Spain is the only country I haven't been to. I mean, not to say that I've been to others, but amongst the ones that are, that I always wanted to go for some reason. I mean, this is a crime. We should have a crime defined because (laughs) you go to Europe. I mean, the door is Portugal and Spain and many people just pass through and don't even bother. I mean, people, Portugal and Spain are amazing countries. Please don't do this, but okay, go ahead. So you... Passed the exam, even though you never, never went to a Spanish-speaking country. I, I went afterwards. I ended up with afterwards, two. But, but at that point. And, and, yeah. and that means that you were studying in L.A. Spanish? What happened was when I came here, I realized immediately as the non-white American Caucasian that I was, but the white European that I was, that this had been Mexico. And I've always been in love with history. So Spain. Yes, I started. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It was right. I've been exactly like, let's say the the last people to to handle California was Mexico, (laughs) then Spain. And then before that, of course, the the indigenous people, we have to give them a shout out. It belongs to the indigenous people. Yes, exactly. And so, of course, I started reading up a little bit on the local history. And also back in the day, there was just no Italians out here, no Brits, no Italians. And I felt very nostalgic every now and again. This was the LA before Starbucks, before the globalization of food, you know, there was, it was the far West. You know, <laughs> I couldn't find anything. I hope then you had a car. <laughs> I had a motorcycle. <laughs> I have a motorcycle license and I use that. Were you driving a Vespa in LA? (laughs) It was actually a Honda. (laughs) No Vespas back in the day. There was nothing Italian out here. I think it was so godforsaken that the Italians just bypassed. That is not that bad. I I can can do that. that. So you're with your Honda in LA. That's cool because traffic sucks, man. Yes. In fact, I kept my motorcycle license and I still have a a motorcycle in my garage because, you know, you never know when you might need it. (laughs) When you were riding a motorcycle in L.A. Yes. And And I went to a physical place. Where did you I mean, it was like a tutor. Like how how did that happen? I'm sorry. Say that again. Like where physically where I was, I was in Westwood. Like who was teaching you Spanish? Oh, no. So what happened is I, I, I lived in Westwood and then I moved to off campus. You know, by then I had some friends. I managed to get myself into an apartment, several apartments, you know, because I was kind of apartment hopping. It was never a permanent situation. And so, you know, it was very stressful. And I actually loved dancing. And I discovered salsa dancing in, in LA. And I you ended up... never, I mean, you, like me, <laughs> like you never dance salsa before and then you get here it's like oh this is fun so you go right there, we, 
Exactly. I mean, salsa dancing basically was called Afro-Caribbean dances in, in Europe, and it was just known as that. So I remember walking into uh, this club on Fifth Street. I think it was called Fifth Avenue. It doesn't exist anymore in Santa Monica. And I was just accompanying actually a German friend of mine. And the moment I walked in, it was just like, Bam! You know, just this, the sound, the music. I was like, what is this? And I became obsessed. So I became this crazy salsa dancer that I would I would have a club for every single night of the week. And I still remember it. And I went through a oh, phase yeah, where... That's what you do when you do salsa. You go at least once or twice a week. <laughs> Correct. And I actually... I became so and, and good. And you only dance. Like, you only go there. And it's all business. It's like, I'm going and dancing. Okay, fulano mengano. That's... Let's yes, but I, I became so good that I partnered, partnered up with one guy in particular who was actually Mexican. And I remember that we won first prize up in Glendale, I think it was, for $750 oh, one wow. night. So I was, yeah. So because of that, and because there was no Italians, I started hanging out mostly with this Latino community. And so, you know. You felt I, kind of like welcome there. You kind of liked it and. Very, very. As I said, they the, they are the ones that kind of reconciled me with my with my name. Well, <laughs> with my, I, I think my... I get it, and I know now where you got your Spanish from. Yes, because that's the second best and most efficient way of learning a language, and it's like dating the guy that speaks the language. Yes, and so, that's how you. So, that's how you do it. Yes. And so it was interesting because I did kind of a reverse That's acquisition. A full right? <laughs> yes. And it was the first language that I actually acquired without, for the first time, without going through the grammar constrictions. And it was funny because later I realized that some things that I was saying were actually spelled different than what I thought in my head were spelled right. because, you know, right. so I felt I acquired it much faster because it was kind of like this baby approach. Just, okay. you know, throw yourself in and just say things. And you also, you speak Italian and, and the grammar right. and the way you you talk. For example, hablar es parlar. Or parlar exactly. Es parlar. I had a great advantage that Italian is basically a shadow blueprint of Spanish. And so it is very, very easy for an Italian to really you know, dig deep and, and learn Spanish, you know, well or fast. There's just certain maybe verbs or tenses that are used differently. Once you know about it, you know, right. you just kind of make a mental switch to that. So you and um, with your boyfriend and because you love salsa and you just go like down, you know, I'm yes. all in. Yes. You learn <laughs> Spanish by, you know, by using it. Yes, yes, absolutely. Your, so it you're Italian and but then how did the core interpreter exam happen? Like, because you have to be very proficient in the language to pass that test. Yes, actually, the, the oral portion I had to take several times because what happened is that I went and I took the written portion by myself, even before going to looking for any school just to I see. I did that too. I did that. Yeah. Too. And I passed. <laughs> so, oops, you know, all of a sudden, you know, a month later, back in the day, in late 90s, early 2000s, you will get you will get a letter fairly fast. Like after a month, you will get a letter to show up. So I got a letter to show up and I was like, what do I do? So I said, I'll show up. So I went and I just plowed through the test. That was kind of ridiculous because I didn't know what the heck was going on and what it was. And I just went with my notebook. I said, well, I'm just 
going, it's like an exploratory mission for me. Yeah. So I sat through it. So I saw what the proctor was doing. I had no idea of things. And of course, there was a lot of stuff that I didn't know, but I got a solid three in all the nine categories and you needed a four to get, you know, by. So when I saw that, I said, oh, maybe this is something that I can do. Right. So right. yeah, then eventually when I went to school, I remember talking with the principal, the director of the private school at the time, I explained my situation and he said, I, I think you can pass, you know, and you'll just have to refine. And so after that, it took a couple of, well, actually more than a couple of tries because I actually kept going, you know, after that, the letter will come again after two months and I had just, you know, enrolled yeah, you just, in school. Even though you were not ready, you were like, no, but yes, I kept going because I said, you know, I still want the experience. And after that, it became a little frustrating because for us interpreters, we need to pass all nine categories at the same time, which yes. is not the truthful court reporters, they just go back and test in the category that they didn't pass. Exactly, and so, exactly. yeah, so my frustration was that I kept getting all fours and then here and there, I will get a three or two. And it was usually in simultaneous because of my Italian. When the simultaneous became very fast, I guess occasionally I would have a slip of the tongue where they would, they would actually literally write in handwriting foreign word, question mark, question mark. And I knew right. that, that sometimes I was conscious about it. Sometimes I wasn't that in my haste, just trying to stay and keep up with it. Uh, I the, the speed, I think it's 120 words per minute or something like that. Yes. That's some connector words. Yeah, some connector words. With the, with the language too, with the words that you never heard before or, or you know, but you don't really know. And you just have to do it on the, on the spot. Yes. And then it was mostly little connector words, you know, that so you probably really have to master that. Yes. So I took a whole year off after that. And for that year, I just listened to a Spanish radio, watched only the news in Spanish. I made a conscious effort just to speak in Spanish every single day for about a year. I just refused, you know, unless I was at work, it was... In your brain, you already had English and you just need it. Yes. And I just said, I need to strengthen my Spanish to where it's more second nature. Because and, you actually um, live in a bilingual state. Like we live yeah. in Spanish and in English in this town. Yes, there's absolutely. A Spanish community, there's a, an English only community, and and then you have both. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I get why it's so important to learn Spanish where we live. And for you, you decided to do it, and you saw that it was like a way of making a living. Actually, yes, it was. To be honest, at that time, I had a different career. I was in international shipping, you know, given my languages, I had kind of slowly migrated to the air export department, which is a very fast paced environment where you actually need to have languages because you're talking to clients all over the world. I actually right. started an import shipping, which is very slow where you're preparing the bills of lading because a shipment is taking up to three, four weeks to come from Asia, the Pacific right. Rim, or maybe Israel. It was super boring. And I remember that there was this boss and some personnel that kept coming over from the air export department saying, oh, Maria, like we, we need to talk to somebody in South Africa or in, in France or in Argentina because the shipment is delayed or blah, 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 blah. We don't understand the emails and we have the, the person on the phone. They're speaking, you know, Spanish, Portuguese, Russian, French, German. Do you know any of those languages? I'm like, yeah, I know them all. Portuguese. I'm like, have them speak to me in Portuguese and I'll answer them in Spanish and, and I can read Portuguese, you know? So, <laughs> and in the end, you know, one day the boss says, you know, come on over and work for us in the air export department. So I actually made a very good career for myself, but because of some legal issues and so forth, I was looking for 
like some legal classes in Spanish. And I came across the Southern California School of Interpretation per chance. So that's how I enrolled in Criminal One. And that was just really for fun. So my taking the exam didn't come until later because 9-11, when 9-11 happened, that actually destroyed trade around the world. And my career basically evaporated in, in a matter of months. And so that time I was attending school and I decided to, I said, well, maybe this could kind of be a second career for me. And that's how I ended pursuing it a little bit more seriously and then having a, a wonderful second career. So yeah, yeah, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. I mean, for me, it was kind of the same way. I was in the museum business. Oh. Because I was an art historian and I thought that was going to be my career forever and ever. And then the recession comes and I cannot find a single job. And for me, it was even worse because my visa was tied to my, my job. True. Mm -hmm. So it had to be something related. I couldn't just work, you know, at Nordstrom, but it was just the worst time. And, and that's how I started to see that I, you know, I could make a living as an interpreter and use my skill. Yeah, it was, a, it was a decision that I took because my career kind of died and I had to just reinvent myself. And it's yeah. funny that it happened to you too. Like you had yeah. this big crisis, 9-11. And then I actually had an interview on 9-13 and I still remember it was a Thursday. So 9-11 was a Tuesday to become actually a branch manager. So I was actually taking the step to really kind of change my career for you know in in a big way and and all of a sudden you know this tragedy struck and it was you know it was very difficult times for everybody after that so yeah i i feel blessed in a way that i was already involved with this and i had already passed the test of course but that was just i was doing the school mostly for my own knowledge and i only had to go once a week at the time Mm -hmm. I, I didn't have, you know, my own children. Right. I was a stepmom to two children, but it wasn't a full-time situation. So I had time. Yeah. And thank goodness for that. Because <laughs> that brings us here to now. I us know, right? I mean, <laughs> so we were, we were going to just talk about Christmas traditions, but I guess... <laughs> I know, we got like a little... <laughs> we, we've, we've gone all over the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because like we have to just like realize like we're here, but we're coming from so many different places with so many yes. different traditions. Yes. Little walls and yeah, Christmas traditions can be interesting. Yeah, we'll have to either do another blog or maybe make an yes. hour blog over this one. I think we should just like have another episode and, and talk about our Christmas traditions. That yes. Because, you know, the holidays are, are here. We just finished having Thanksgiving, right? And yes, so we have plenty of time we have to totally talk about Christmas time. around the world. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you will have back maybe next, I don't know, in a couple of weeks. I have my other guest here, but that is coming all the way from Altea, Spain. I'll tell oh. you more about that. That's another Gitana, very interesting Gitana, also an interpreter. I didn't mean to, to do that, to have two interpreters back to back, but it happened. That tells you that we're interesting people. Yes, I actually would like to close, you know, when somebody uh, 
sometimes says, oh, you know, what made you become an interpreter? So sometimes I actually like to say that being an interpreter sometimes is the product of a very messed up life, (laughs) messed up or very garbled life. You know, sometimes your life just takes you into a million directions, into so many different places and countries. And just out of sheer survival instinct, you have Mm -hmm. to learn languages and customs. And then all of a sudden you decide that you like them and you want to make more of that. And that's what makes an interpreter because it's not only the language aspect, but it's the cultural aspect that yes, has to drive the language acquisition and and understanding of yes. you know where you are, where you're going, where you're coming from, and who you're serving. So, <laughs> so thank you so much, Maria Antonieta. I'm gonna have you back definitely. And thank you, Coco. Give was... me your give me your social media handle. Yes, for Instagram or yes, Instagram. Uh, Instagram, I think it's at map. 0909 mm-hmm. so that's my initials and I like the fact that it spells out map and 0909 is actually the date that I came to the United States the very first time we talked about it on the 9th of September of 1991 okay so that's your Instagram and Facebook is kind of the same or Facebook is my whole name I figured out there's not many with 26 letters and Maria Antonieta Pelichare so you oh my god you're gonna find her very quick very easily yes so let's guys and I'll see you soon with another beautiful Gitana. Wonderful. Wonderful rest of the week. Thank you, Maria Antonieta, for coming. Thank you, Coco. Thank you very much for giving me this opportunity to just like shoot the breeze. (laughs) Gracias, Maria Antonieta. De nada. Gracias a ti. Thank you, Bella. Bella.